0: Welcome to another episode of the Cocoa Podcast, a place where we amplify voices in the chocolate and cocoa industry in search for true sustainability. I am your host, Emma Rose. Today, we're exploring solutions. How can small companies and chocolate consumers make an impact in the chocolate sector? For this conversation, I wanted to bring on a dear friend of mine, Eric Case, who's actually my very first connection in the world of chocolate. Uh, I think three years ago, uh, he invited me and my dad to a chocolate making weekend down in Maryland. It was a lot of fun. And from the first time that I met Eric, it was clear that he was a very knowledgeable and passionate individual. Um, And then I later found out he's worked in the chocolate industry for more than 25 years. He's worked for some of the most reputable chocolate companies in the world and is now firmly established in the United States where he gets to work with amazing companies like Cho, that forge strong and ethical supply chains in the industry. So, Welcome, Eric. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you. Great to go down that memory lane with you. Yeah. We had some good times.
0: We do, yeah. (laughs) Um, So to give us a bit of context here, can you tell us briefly how chocolate became such a central part of your life?
1: Well, it's been quite a part of my life for most of my life. I did not, though, particularly enjoy chocolate as eating um, more of the story behind it, although the first time that I touched a, or tasted a piece of truly unique and amazing chocolate, I, I didn't have any idea that's what it was. It was so incredible. It was um, a chocolate from Venezuela. and. Arguably, that's where the first chocolate trees grew just south of Maracaibo and it just it totally stunned me and I wanted to continue on this, whatever this was, and see how we could figure out how to bring this into the United States. Um, So having said that, I got into chocolate. I, I, I wrote a play about the makings of chocolate and how we get it in today's day and age. And by that, I studied um, Mesoamerican art history at the University of Texas and just was fascinated by the Mayans and um, everything that goes into how they worshiped, really, the Theobromine cocoa tree, um, food of the gods. And from then on, I've just kind of set out about how do we bring justice um, through this cocoa line and the supply lines, because the more and more you dive into it, um, these developing countries have very, very challenging social aspects, have challenging political structures that are not always fair and equitable to the people that are growing the products. And that's what continued me into this kind of flavor quest, because the different flavors in chocolate just continue, continue to amaze me on on how this one single little bean can turn into so many varieties. Which is also why I'm just head over heels with uh, with coffee and and beer.
0: <laughs> right. It's very, yeah. very,
1: very similar, and and with just little minuscule tweaks. Uh, total different flavors can, can come about.
0: Right. That leads me perfectly into my next question. Um, So you've traveled to a lot of different countries to explore cocoa farming and you um, used to take chocolatiers up with you and show them how it's grown and made. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. That was a lot of, um, that was a lot of my last 12, 13 years taking chefs or chocolatiers into the cacao fields and cacao can only grow 13 to 15 degrees either side of the equator so you get a small band around the globe that can only can even grow the product and most of them had never um you know set foot even though their whole business is around this particular commodity product and that's fascinating in its own right. Mm-hmm. But what even became more exciting was to have these chefs or chocolatiers that are making their business out of the things that these people, you know, halfway around the world are responsible for bringing chocolate that they made into a bar or even. But bonbons were a lot harder to, to get there because they melt quicker. But bringing a bar to the people that would grow the cocoa, so many of them have never even tasted chocolate the way in which we have come to know it. Generally, it's in a paste or it's in a mole, depending on the culture of the, um, the country. Um, it's in a variety of different ways. A drink but rarely in a in a bar that you can give someone to. And when you see them eat that at the very, very beginning, many of them are like, um, what, is, what is this? Um, <laughs> it, it, it might delight them, but they don't recognize it. Right. And watching them open their minds to saying, this is this is, is truly a remarkable experience.
0: Right. It's so interesting how the supply chain has a very big disconnect very often. I mean, for me, I'm one of those chocolatiers that's built a business around chocolate and I have never traveled to a cocoa farm. That is something I have yet to do. (laughs) We've
1: got to get you down there. We got to go. Most
0: most definitely. (laughs) You'll be my guide. The next
1: (laughs) place that we're going to go is is Belize. I've taken a few trips uh, of chocolatiers to Belize um, and then Ghana is going to be my next big one uh, as far as taking, you know, persons that want to go and really investigate. The Belize is gonna go and see some of our cocoa uh, farmers that do some really interesting flavor cocoa. Um, But the Ghana, we want to go and show some of the flavor labs that we've put together in the land of origin so that more people from the countries of origin will stay in their own countries, so that it's it's it kind of takes the imperialism aspect out of it. That we're not just extracting raw materials um, like like we have in the in the past. We're trying to keep those jobs and allowing them more. Um, more transparency to what goes on with these things that, you know, we want, um, but giving them eyes to see that process, but then also to um, allow them to know how to change the pH balance or the cocoa butter level so that they begin to make their own chocolates in country of origin.
0: That's amazing. I love, I love that. And that's an initiative that Cho does, correct?
1: Cho is trying to do that with their flavor labs in 13 different countries now. Wow. They've begun to, um, to put these labs. So they're seeing on the ground the same thing that we are back in Berkeley. And awesome. they can talk amongst each other to talk about different levels of fermentation. <laughs> things like that.
0: Do you have personal heroes in the chocolate industry?
1: In the chocolate industry? As far as makers or as far as chocolatiers or people that use the product and make their products?
0: It can be anyone. Anyone that you think is doing something amazing in the
1: well, world of chocolate industry. Well, I, I do believe that my... <laughs> One of my very first mentors uh, is the company um, Chocolatas El Rey, which is the king. It's a company from Venezuela. I learned so much about just chocolate and real chocolate and where it comes from, how it's grown, who are the kinds of people that grow it, and then how the political system kind of is so important to... Logistics, getting it in, getting it out, right now in Venezuela, it's absolutely horrible and horrific, tragic really, on getting and moving beans from one place to the other, people actually (laughs) dying and being um, murdered in order to get raw materials or, or things. It's not just specifically to cocoa, although cocoa is something that they can get tangible money for. I'm talking about people that can't eat. So, you know, we have a political, we have a socio-economical challenge, but cocoa throughout the centuries has always been something that can sustain someone and their body to, to eat for, you know, so there's a lot of value to those things. Sometimes in Venezuela you don't even have groceries on the shelves. Hmm. Forget about the COVID time; that's during re- regular time. Um, now, with you know, with the pandemic, I'm not. I haven't been down there for a while, but I do have friends that that are down there and live there, um, and it's it's challenging. Um, I mean, they can't get vaccines, uh, so we'll we'll see how that. But Peru is even um, more challenged by the the, the covet situation
0: really?
1: hmm. so yeah uh, anywhere that the COVID is be, or sorry anywhere that the cocoa is um because they're the developing countries um you know they've got infrastructure challenges just like anything else yeah. and they're growing this product that everyone else wants except the place where they're most abundant, right. um, not that they don't use it and 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 use it well. They just don't use it for the same kind of thing that we here in the United States take so much pleasure in.
0: Right. Yeah. Right.
1: So. So, yeah. hero. Mm, I have a lot more heroes <laughs> in the chocolatier world, okay. but I. But Jorge, we were talking about um, El Rey, Jorge Redmond. Um, He's the owner and developer. He, he's so passionate about chocolate and his people, the Venezuelans, and he's just a generally amazing person and always had, you know, the, the, the people at the heart of his company. That's why it's been there since 1929. and uh, it's it's awful what um, what socialism does to a country um, like that. But um, Gary Guittard, he's runs an amazing company uh, that's been around for 140 years or so, and he's taken the the mantle of you know fourth generation. I hope I'm saying that right. Possibly fifth generation. Um, <laughs> You know, giant American company, uh, and and continued it, and now his daughter Amy is picking up the the mantle. I don't know if she'll continue to drive it, or if one of the other uh, sons or grand. Yeah, I don't know how that's going to work. But anyway, they they plan on going continuing. So the the chocolate scene in the United States is um, is remarkable and is full of a lot of. Heroes, I say heroes, just because they teach me. You know, teachers are my heroes, and so yeah. So that's that's a few. Um, meso awesome. Cacao is um, another one. Mark, uh, who is running that, is just uh, a super super teacher, and um, some of the people at Joe, like Brad, who's our chocolate maker, has such a um, has such a deep love and understanding he used to be the chocolate maker with dylan at um at a company called scharfenberger who kind of really was the leader in this whole craft bean to bar quote unquote movement um, and and was was there in the beginning and and i think what brad is accomplishing now with some of the um chocolates that he's producing are as as good as any i've i've tasted
0: nice Awesome. Well, thank you for that answer. Yeah. Um, so let's dive right into the solutions piece of this. So there are many problems, right, that you can find in chocolate supply chain. Which of them would you say is the most serious that we should, I don't know, I guess, pay the well, most attention
1: to? We're, we're certainly trying to <laughs> attack and, and, and make accountability of big chocolate, let's just say, and the accountability of, of child workers, or certainly the slave issue has kind of uh, been kind of talked about without any context. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the biggest issues um, the press gets a hold of it and all of a sudden it becomes sizzle so that they can continue to sell their their papers or their magazine etc mm-hmm. but it is a problem and it used to be a far bigger problem until one of the i think it was the miami uh, herald um that that really shined a light but that light needs to you know Understand where the direction is coming from, and hey, I can't, I can't um, be proud enough of them for for showing a light on that situation because that's egregious, and there should be absolutely no tolerance, no tolerance whatsoever. But how do you solve that kind of problem? you make responsible big cocoa, you, you make them responsible and you just, the only way that we as individuals can, can um, battle that is to not buy that kind of chocolate. Um, And whether it's, you know, giant companies that, um, that don't necessarily have ways into the, the supply line and they're only buying um, giant amounts of beans and then carting them over without any kind of um, knowledge of where they come from or what kind of people have been growing these and things like that. The, the biggest way to respond to that is is accountability, accounting. You, you kind of have to know the people that you're dealing with. At the end of the day, you have to trust your partners but it's kind of like, you know, what Ronald Reagan said um, in the 80s, you know, trust, but verify. Right. We, we have to have a sense of verification. They, they have to have some kind of metrics that allows we, the consumer, to, to know that this has ways that are better than they used to be. And then by better than they used to be. How do we continue to push it forward so we can completely eradicate it? And I'm talking about education programs need to be set up in the communities that we're extracting the cocoa from. Uh, there needs to be you know, access to food. There needs to be minimum access to water, drinkable water, not um infested with, you know, larva mosquitoes or things like that, actual drinking water. Um, so some very fundamental basics need to be put on companies that say are taking out a certain amount and they at that amount need to rebuild, continue sustainability, not just for their own crop. But for the people that right. farm that crop, for the people that go and pick it up, the people that open that, the people that are fermenting that, the people mm-hmm. that are turning it to dry, you know, most of these are small communities. They all know what people are doing, um, or as far as the farmers. So they have a lot to lose if they. Do it wrong, or if they're using a a pesticide, for instance, we talk about organic farming. Um, If someone's trying to use a particular pesticide that's bad, they'll be responsible. They'll be held responsible by the other people in their co-op that are saying, "Our whole lot of beans could get taken away because of your actions." So you kind of have that that net of people. But if you don't know who those co-ops of people are, then you have no way to account for that, mm-hmm. um, and that's where we want we want smaller but more accountable. And if anything, what we should be asking large, big cocoa is open open your records, open how much of a premium that you're paying, or show us what kind of initiatives you're doing, rather than here is the initiative. Right. But we haven't really acted on it. I mean, right. it, it, it really angers me when we've got a protocol that we put together 25 years ago and, well, 20, probably, um, the Harkin-Angels protocol. Uh, and they, they all signed it. And here we are 20 years down the road. We're just kicking the can again, you know, yeah. down the field. When are they going to be held responsible? Well, we've got another program. And by 2050, all of our cocoa will be sustainable. Well, that's a whole new word that wasn't back then. Sustainable now. I mean, so how many different words are we going to continue to allow the, you know, the ball to be passed down until, you know, then we won't even, we'll have forgotten about it. Right. And then all of a sudden, well, no one really cares anymore. It's just chocolate you know that kind of thing that's all of our food that's all of our food chain
0: that's true um and when you when you think about like solutions you kind of have to also get at the root of the problem so what would you say is the main cause of all of these problems is it the big cocoa or is it just maybe the countries Um, well it's
1: accountability no it's not the countries because we as (laughs) We as capitalists can't expect to go into a third or a developing country and expect them to have the same kind of ideas. Like, like I've learned so many times going into developing countries that they don't need the same kinds of things that we do. Um, That's why, you know, fair trade is always a challenging, challenging initiative, because is it fair that I get the thousand pounds of beans that you've sweat and toiled over, and I give you, um, you know, $1,500. Where sometimes money doesn't even matter to them in, as far as economy. Like they may do better with chickens or um, some kind of driving machine, whether it be a, a, a truck or a moped or a car. Right, or right. a bicycle to get them from one place to the other. All of that though is kind of altruistic because it ultimately gets them to make more of the thing that we want. You know, right. how about you educate? You know, to me, that's the best thing that companies could be trying to do is making sure that there's an education system for these kids to be able to go to to learn. Right. The unfortunate thing there that you learn is that once people start to understand that they're being taken advantage of, <laughs> um, that it will recalibrate the, 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 the market system and they won't want to work in that anymore. Many of the places that I go in like Dominican Republic or South uh or Peru, ecuador as they get older and they've seen their father and their grandfather and their great grandfather work in the cocoa fields that this may not be the life that i want oh i have a choice i didn't know i had a choice but you start to open that up and and it becomes it becomes you know challenging for for everything but if we were fair and equitable from the beginning, they, they may find a lot of dignity and value in, in, in doing that. We right. used to here in the United States until the Industrial Revolution. Um, and arguably, a lot of people didn't do well through the Industrial Revolution. So we right. go into the gilded age, I think we're kind of in that uh, in the in the chocolate world in this this gilded age. Uh, of of premium prices and um, the the farmers not getting their allowance. And that's why it's important to work directly with co-ops that manage and have relationships with their farmers. It's not just a dump spot.
0: Right.
1: The relationship is really what holds accountability together. That's what I'm proud about of what what Cho is continuing to focus on. And it's what ultimately helps our relationship, you know, stay connected, you know, so that if we we're not talking every day, but we we need to, I mean, relationships take work.
0: That's true. It's like
1: like <laughs> everything.
0: Yeah. You know.
1: Um, but that's that's the most uh That's the key to, I believe, um, changing this, because it's hard to, well, it's not hard for everyone, but to me, it's hard to do something wrong to someone that you know, and you know their family, and you know, you know,
0: that's true, once you,
1: it matters to me,
0: right, once you take the anonymity, or, you know, once you know, you can't ever unlearn or unknow something right. so for sure
1: i can't unsee that
0: <laughs> right <laughs> yeah for sure and uh, what sort of transparency do you think the consumer needs on like Boy, a label they need as much as
1: they want okay
0: yeah <laughs> um, how much <laughs> fair enough
1: they, how much do they want i think it's more important from a want from chocolatiers like yourself um rather than little billboards on the on the supermarket um because I think while people do want to see certain symbols, um, they, might not, they might not understand what all those symbols mean. But if it says fair, if it says equitable, if it yeah. says uh, organic, they might want that. But whether it's accurate or not, they might not care. Right. And that's why with your customers, the same as you as my customer, uh, it's important to to know what they expect, to know what they want. To ask them questions. What mm-hmm. are what is important to you? Because there's a lot of ways to achieve those things, but but what is it that we're working towards? Yeah. We're looking toward. We're working towards more equity and sustainability and um, transparency within the cocoa supply line that has not been there in in the near past right and hopefully we continue to open and open more and then shine lights on on customers that are are doing that using the platform that we that we have it's not giant but none of the ones that are that are doing it are yeah not yet not yet <laughs> And that's what, that's what we need to change.
0: Yeah, for sure. So um, I have one last question for you. Someone asks you what chocolate they should buy. What is your answer? I because just want to eat a really good bar of chocolate.
1: Yeah, um, I would suggest if they were saying that <laughs> to try to get a single, what we call single varietal meaning that it comes from a specific variety of cacao and try one or two of those to see whether or not they're going to like fruity. And if they do like fruity, if they like kind of red fruits, what acid in that fruit do they prefer? Because remember chocolate is a fruit, it comes from a fruit. So does that generally, generally, There's always exceptions, but generally, South America is known for its fruitiness. So You're going to get red fruits, you're going to get yellow fruits. Africa doesn't, except for the exception, as I say, that um, Madagascar has some very acidic and fruity chocolates uh, up in the tip uh, in the Sambriano, valley uh, um, where where the vanilla comes from. So all of the crops that surround it are going to add their presence uh, into each one of the beans and depending on its fermentation, depending on uh, how much water is taken out um, and then fermented and how dried it is. Each one of those components can can help aromas develop throughout the process of becoming a fully dried bean after it's roasted. And even sometimes you can develop flavors through the roasting process. So there's so many little variables. And that's why I say, choose one country, a varietal, it comes from this particular area, um, even if it's just Madagascar, you'll kind of get at least an understanding. There might be six different companies that do Peru, for instance, or Ecuador, or Ghana. Those are kind of some some large variety um, mm-hmm. or or very common beans that are are attainable to bean to bar makers. What I find with the bean to bar is that they're they're. Very few people know how to repeat making a good bar. You can make a good bar once, but it's really hard to repeat it and, and make good chocolate consistently. That's, that's the real challenge. Um, and that's why a lot of the bean-to-bar stuff doesn't go into like confectioners like yourself. right? Because you need kind of a solid blue, for instance, or a hmm. solid red or solid yellow. Once you get those three locked in, then you can figure out what it is that you want to create, what what paint. But if you don't have those three primary colors, you're going to have, um, it's going to go on and off all, all over. Right. So if you can get one, I, I would say Ghana because that's mostly what you kind of recognize from big chocolate, but also from our childhood. You know those bass notes that that really kind of say these are chocolate. Um, it's I call the drums of the the chocolate world. So Ghana and Ivory Coast tend to have that, and that has to do with them being dried in the direct sun. They don't have shade grown um, cocoa there. There's some shade, but not not like it is in the rainforests of. Um, South America, And that's why you're gonna get some fruitier notes in the South American. South American also has a tendency to be um, softer cocoa butter where African cocoa butter is gonna be slightly harder. Um, But I would suggest that they get one and they get three from the same place and try out that. I would go around 70%. 80%, 80%, if they really think they like dark, you're going to start to find out what why cocoa liquor is so important because some is going to be um, really kind of um, velvety. Mm-hmm. Some is going to kind of be smooth and silky. And that's all about the cocoa butter. How much cocoa butter in that compared to how much of the nib or how much of the, the fiber part of the chocolate it's all going to be 70% or i would suggest do 3 70% but you'll you'll just feel in texture and 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 presence and feeling they're all going to be very very different and then kind of hone down and look at the fat contents of each and know which one has more and which way you kind of graduate towards like oh I like it with a little bit less of the fattiness or oh I like it with more of the cocoa butter that's basically the cocoa butter is what makes white chocolate so you put in cream or you put in milk powder and that is everything that is a milk chocolate so I always like to tell chocolatiers or people uh when I when I do classes to to take some nibs, to take a coin of white chocolate, and then put it in your mouth, and as you're chewing, you're making chocolate in your mouth. You're basically conching, and um, that that gives people kind of a, a way into having this ephemeral experience and this this moment, um, because some people just don't know what's inside this great thing. Right. Um, But it is fun to do that 70% to see, oh, I like a little bit more nibs. Oh, I like a little bit more butter. Um, But that will give you a great context to be able to then go out and kind of understand what, oh, 81 is gonna give me a little bit more or 56 is just gonna give me more sugar.
0: Right, learn what you like yeah well there you have it next time next time you want to treat yourself to a nice evening of eating some chocolates go and pick out different bars from different origins and and enjoy your chocolate taste it see what you like feel it and uh yeah figure out what region uh sparks the most love for the chocolate inside of you and uh how much cocoa butter you like to have
1: and, and learn the story. Oftentimes it's on the, the back or your chocolatier might have a small little um, brochure that tells the story of, of them and why they got into it. Um, the, those are the kind of things that, that touch our hearts, you know, not our, not our tongues. And, and, and to me, chocolate is the greatest uh, storyteller because there's, there's so much around it. That then adds to the flavors that you're actually going to physically have.
0: Mm.
1: Right. Yeah. I love it. Well, I can't wait to come up and see what you've got going on up there in Vermont.
0: Yes, I can't wait for you to be able to make it up. (laughs) Cool. Well, thank you so much, Eric, for your time. And that was was an amazing conversation. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) And uh, we'll be back. Have your mom (laughs) we Will
1: do. (laughs) All right. Bye bye. Take
0: care.